0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for seven years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice, this is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 31 of This is Type 1 Real Life Type 1 Diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about basal rates, or for those of you on multiple daily injections, long-acting insulin. We talked a bit about long-acting insulin in episode 6 when we talked about insulin in general, but for those on MDI, long-acting is a far different experience than someone on a pump using fast-acting insulin and a basal rate. A reminder for everybody, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. I'm up for the win of the week. For the last two days, as of this recording, my numbers have been 93% in range, according to my Dexcom Clarity app, which shows me quick stats and reports right on my phone. There were a few moments at work the last couple days where I realized I hadn't felt an alarm going off for something like several hours, and when I checked my pump, I was perfectly in range with a flat arrow. In episode 28, Molly Johanna said that she has some line envy from her friends on Control IQ. I'm not even on Control IQ yet, and I have lion pride with where I'm at recently. Jessie is out this week for some family reasons, so I'll share a fail in her place. It's good to remember that our technology is not perfect. My last sensor started cutting out two days before its limit, and it barely held on to day 10. And that sensor was the replacement that Tandem sent for the one that failed on my ski trip in January. It can be really easy to expect perfection from all our technology, but the reality? is that things do go wrong, and all we can do is manage how we react to those things. Our diabetes hack this week is to go to bed earlier. Sleep is essential for recovery and also for managing blood sugars. When we stay up late and don't pay attention to what our bodies need for rest and recovery, we always feel the effects of it with our health. Also pay attention to the quality of sleep you're getting. Highs and lows during the night impact the quality of sleep and that can become a cycle of pain. So to start this episode off, let's talk first about what exactly we mean when we talk about basal rates. So this is a very common phrase among type 1 diabetics, especially those who use insulin pumps. More than 60% of type 1 diabetics use insulin pumps, compared to just 1% in 1995 when I was diagnosed. I was actually one of the first campers at Panther Camp to wear an insulin pump back in 2003. Basal rate refers to the continuous stream of insulin delivered by the insulin pump. It mimics long-acting insulin by giving microdoses every minute or so. Basal rates are programmed into the pump in terms of units per hour. My highest rate is 1.9 units per hour, and that's in the morning hours between 4 a.m. and around 10 a.m. Basal rates should actually peak in the morning like that to account for dawn phenomenon, which is a phenomenon where blood sugars naturally rise when waking up even if you didn't eat anything. A higher basal in the morning counteracts this phenomenon. And fun fact, non-diabetics also have a basal rate, It's just controlled by the pancreas. It handles things like exercise or sickness or pressure changes based entirely on biological signals in the body. Y'all non diabetics are lucky with your fully functioning pancreases. My total basal rate for a day on my regular basal profile is 30.9 units, but I rarely actually hit that number because of the time my pump goes into auto suspend or when I force suspend to shower. The more accurate number over the last 30 days is 29.25 units. It's just a difference of 1.65 units per day but that's equivalent to a correction dose for a blood sugar over 180 for me. Now on tandem pumps, you can program up to six different basal profiles. This means you can have a profile for exercise, for a regular day, or for any other situations that you know you'll need either more or less insulin during a certain time frame. I have profiles for regular days, days when I get on an airplane in the morning, days when I go skiing, and days when I eat dinner, since eating dinner sends my blood sugar high overnight, even if I don't eat any carbs. I still need to set up a profile for staying up late since that messes with my numbers too. A good use for basal profiles is actually shift work, especially switching between day shift and night shift. My tandem pump uses a program called Basal IQ, which turns off the basal delivery if the CGM predicts a low in the next half an hour. That has been an absolute game changer with my A1Cs over the last year. And I know Jesse is not on today to talk about the Medtronic 670G which has something called auto mode, But the 670G can override programmed basal rates when the auto mode is on, because it calculates the basal rate based on real-time blood sugars from her CGM. In auto mode, it's called auto-basal. Auto mode doesn't stay on all the time, and it really depends on accurate and consistent sensor data to work. So for the three months or so that Jessie took off from wearing her sensor, she had to rely on programmed basal rates and testing her blood sugar with a meter. Now what about calculating basals? Well, a quick and dirty and totally non-scientific way to find out what your total daily dose should be based on your weight is to take your weight in pounds and divide it by four. That number is a bit of a ballpark estimate for how much insulin your body needs to maintain your weight. And I say this is non-scientific and a ballpark estimate because a lot more goes into calculating your basal rates and managing your weight than just the insulin. So a quick example, my total daily dose is around 35.25 units. That's maintenance for someone weighing 141 pounds, which means I'm at a good total daily dose to reach my goal weight. Once you have your total daily dose, you need to think about your basal to bolus ratios. In my experience, endocrinologists have said that the 24-hour total amount of insulin from a basal rate should be half of a diabetic's total daily dose. In practice, this ratio varies a lot based on who you talk to, how we eat, our activity levels, other medical issues, and a bunch of other factors. My ratio over the last 30 days is 83% basal, 17% bolus. Sometimes there's a very rare day when I have 100% basal and 0% bolus, meaning I didn't have to take any corrections or give insulin for anything I ate, and those are pretty fun days. If you Google it, Wikipedia will tell you that most adults over 21 will have a basal to bolus ratio of 40 to 60, meaning 40% comes from basal and 60% comes from bolus. If you eat a diet heavier in carbs, that's a good place to start. But if you eat low carb like us, you'll automatically bolus less often and 40 to 60 wouldn't work as your ratio. You could try starting off at 70-30 or 75-25 to figure out what works best for you. Now, that being said, I'm very comfortable messing with my own basal rates. But if you're just starting out with an insulin pump or you're newly diagnosed, please talk to your doctor about what your basal rates should be. And don't be afraid to ask questions and test out different settings if it's not working between doctor appointments. Now, like all things with type 1 diabetes, we'll never get it right the first try. So this is why it's really important to always have a mindset towards experimentation and curiosity rather than perfection. And that's where basal testing comes in. Chances are, your basal rate will change as you get older, and they can vary wildly per person. I've seen young kids at diabetes camp with extremely high basal rates some of whom are still in the honeymoon phase, so their rates are pretty low, and everything in between. As we age, our bodies change too, which means that basal rates that were perfect at age 16 or 17 would not work nearly as well at age 26 or 27. My basal rates, in total daily dose, 10 years ago, were more than double what it is now, partly due to the changes I made with what I eat every day. Basal testing is the process to find out what your basals actually need to be. With basal testing, it's important to remember that the effects of any changes to the basal rate show up around two hours after the change is made. This is why basal IQ on the tandem pumps isn't perfect. Sometimes it shuts off my insulin, but I still go low, because maybe I have insulin on board that hasn't finished working, or my basal rate from two hours beforehand was way too high, and turning it off 30 minutes before the low wasn't fast enough. Basal testing is best done when fasting because it lets you see how your blood sugars react without any external stimulus from food. If you notice your blood sugar going down around a certain time in the day, adjust your basal from two hours beforehand. You might find that you need a different basal profile on the weekends versus during the week. I think basal testing can be fun because I like seeing the data and identifying different things that affect my blood sugar at any given time. It's also less of a challenge for me to basal test because I practice intermittent fasting which means I eat only during a specific window of time during the day, usually the morning, and that makes the afternoon prime for basal testing. It's not that far of a stretch either for me to extend a fast to 24 hours to get the morning basal testing done. I've only done a couple of 24-hour fasts, but when I do, I try to notice what my blood sugar is doing and if I need to adjust any basal rates. Another cool feature with basal rates are temporary basals. Temporary basals are features on insulin pumps that lets you override a current basal rate with a percentage of the current rate. In tandem pumps, the temporary basal rate is 0% to 250%. On my old Medtronic pumps, there was an option to program an actual rate in units per hour as the temp rate, but I never actually used it. And I can't say for sure if it's still a feature on current Medtronic pumps, since Jesse's not here to tell us. Temp rates are great for preventing a low before basal IQ or auto mode kicks in. For giving extra insulin to bring down a high, or for periods of exercise. For high stress events, and basically any activity that's out of the ordinary where you might need a temporary different rate. When I shower in the morning, I put a temp basal of 0% on for about half an hour, so I don't lose insulin while I'm unhooked. And I do it that way because if I suspend insulin delivery using the suspend option, the pump will alarm every five minutes to remind me that it's in suspend, Whereas with a temp of 0%, it will only alarm once to tell me I'm below my minimum basal threshold. I actually learned last month that I experience adrenaline highs when speaking in front of large audiences. So the next time I speak, I'm going to set a temporary basal to help mitigate that rise. I also don't want to overcorrect because I'd rather be high than low while standing up and talking in front of people. Okay, long-acting insulin for you guys on MDI. Well, your basal rate comes from your long-acting insulin. Surprise, surprise. Those are the brands like Levimir, Lantus, Basaglar, and Tresaba. Long-acting insulin takes up to four hours to start working in the bloodstream. Most long-acting insulins work for 24 hours, but Tresaba works for up to 42, so that's a bit of an outlier. And because it takes four hours to start working and lasts for 24 hours, it's really important to inject long-acting insulin at the same time every day, to avoid any lags in it starting or any overlap or stacking of doses. For some people, this strict and prescribed way of doing things helps keep them on track. But for most people, the pump is offering the flexibility that long-acting insulins don't. Because long-acting insulin is one injection per day or two, depending on how you do it, it means you can't turn it off if you're going low, and it's a lot harder to do any basal testing. Figuring out the dose on long-acting insulin involves a lot more trial and error than on a pump. You might have to take less long-acting insulin if you know you're going to be exercising a lot one day, like maybe you're going skiing or hiking. And you might have to give more long-acting insulin when you're sick, because blood sugars run high for most people when they're sick with the cold or the flu. Now, I'm biased when I say that using a pump with fast-acting insulin and a basal rate is better than long-acting. And I know that MDI works for a lot of people much better than pumping does. It just depends on the person. So if you're on injections and you're getting tired of the routine with long-acting insulin, know that pumps and variable basals could be your best friend. That was just a quick introduction to basal rates, and now we're on to our diabetes spotlight. The spotlight this week is actually on the recent news about Medtronic's pump recall, specifically the 600 series of pumps, for potential pump failure or overdosing of insulin. That's scary. In February 2020, Medtronic issued a Class 1 recall notice, and that's considered the most serious class of recall, for certain 600 series pumps, and the recall affects over 322,000 pumps. This is a quote, there have been reported incidents of a loose reservoir that can no longer be locked into the pump. The reservoir can become loose due to a broken or missing retainer ring that prevents a proper lock. The retainer ring can be broken, for example, as a result of dropping or bumping your pump on a hard surface. This is a safety notification letter that Medtronic sent to patients in November. The letter that Medtronic sent to the patients using these pumps encourages them to examine the trainer ring used in their pumps. If the reservoir does not lock into the pump properly, or if the ring is loose, damaged, or missing, the letter says to stop using the insulin pump and instead use manual insulin injections per your doctor's recommendations. If your reservoir properly locks in place by the retainer ring, the company said you may continue using your pump, but remember to always follow the device instructions and routinely examine your pump retainer ring, according to the letter. If you happen to drop the pump, check to make sure there is no damage to the device and its retainer ring. The FDA announcement noted that affected patients can contact Medtronic for a replacement pump if the reservoir does not lock into place properly, or if the retainer ring is loose, damaged, or missing. And patients with questions about the recall are encouraged to call the 24-hour Medtronic technical support line at 877-585-0166. And that's the end of that quote. According to the FDA announcement, there have been 26,421 complaints regarding the device malfunctioning, 2,175 injuries, and one death. And that is so scary. As listed on the FDA's website, Medtronic has recalled the following pump models. Model 630G, distributed in September 2016 to October 2019, and Model 670G, distributed in June 2017 to August 2019. So if you wear a 630G or a 670G issue during those time periods, please check your pumps. Medtronic has recalled pumps before, but this one is a big deal because of how many are affected. And on that note, our question for you guys this week is, are you on a pump or MDI? Which do you prefer when it comes to your basal or your background insulin? What challenges have you faced using either of those? Let us know in the comments or by sending an email. And that is it for this short episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com episode 31. That's the number 31. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. Jesse's on Instagram as at jj kat. Please feel free to send her any questions or comments you have about type one or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen through. And if you prefer to get an email update whenever there's a new episode, subscribe to the email list at inspiredforward.com. Roundup emails go out on Saturday mornings and always include the show notes for the latest episode. Be sure to listen in next week when we talk about why you should attend a diabetes camp, even if you're an adult. Jesse and I met at Diabetes Camp, and it's the highlight of every summer for me. Remember, you control your diabetes, it doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face to face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.